Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Okay, well, as I mentioned and we prayed uh, Pastor Robert and Pastor Ephraim are away. And um, usually when those guys are away, it falls on me to um, share God's word with you. And um, sometimes that's, that's, um, that's not an easy task. Um, some of us coming from other churches may be used to some form of topical teaching. And so, and how people teach topically, I do not know. I like the, I like the restraints of knowing I'm in a book and I'm going for a book. I know where I'm at. And so, um, in seeking the Lord this week, you know, I was like, Lord, you know, what message do you have for your people today? I'm here, I'm willing, I'm available to be used by you. And he just laid a few things on my heart. And so there's a few thoughts and a few considerations I'd like to share with you this morning, this afternoon. Um, and they're all relating to our Christian walk. And the first thought or consideration I want to share is the subtlety of sin. You know, in considering this, I just thought about how sin is always looking for an opportunity. It's always looking for this opportunity to get within our lives. And as it does this, it finds its opportunity in our thoughts, in our words, or in our deeds. And in considering this, I thought about what God said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. He said, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you, Cain, should rule over it. Five times in this verse, we see the word you. And that is to emphasize the point that the responsibility for a master in sin and its temptation in this situation was with Cain. He had the responsibility of when temptation was coming to master sin. And so, as believers, we should always live with this realization that this thing called sin, missing the mark, external sin, internal sin, the flesh, however we want to label it, it's always looking for this opportunity to catch us off guard. 
It's always looking for an opportunity where it can come into our lives and bring us into some form of condemnation. And we have the responsibility of mastering it. And we cannot have the excuse to say, well, I just don't have the power, I just don't have the strength. Because God says in his word, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter says everything we need to live a godly life. God has given to us. So we cannot stand before God and say, yo, Lord, you just, you just didn't equip me. Because he has. We are left with no excuses. And the fact is, is that we are continuously in this battle against sin. Sin just doesn't say one day, I'm going to give you a break. Let's just call a truce. I'm not going to try and invade your life, whether it's in your thoughts, whether it's in your words, or whether it's in your deeds. I'm going to leave you alone. Sin doesn't do that. It's constant. And so our response is, firstly, to be in Christ, to gain the victory. We've taken communion today, knowing that only in Christ do we obtain that power that strength but then once we're in Christ we have to avail ourselves of the knowledge and understanding of the Lord and we have to be obedient to his word and allow his spirit to work through us and so that was the first thought I considered the subtlety of sin and how it wants to invade our lives the next thought was well how do we respond to individual sin? Well, if we continue to just look at this small example of Cain, we see that Cain didn't heed the voice of the Lord. He still went ahead and killed his brother. And in this example, yeah, it's an extreme. But this is the very nature and the subtlety of sin. It starts with a minor thought. A minor thought that left unchecked and not brought under the obedience of Christ, it can easily lead to an extreme outworking of sin. So again, we are encouraged to heed and obey the voice of the Lord and the words of Scripture. Now, along with this thought is, well, that's relating to my individual sin. What about how do I respond to the sin that I see in others? Lord, how do I do that? 
And in this, we need to know that covering sin is the starting point. And I'm going to go on to explain. The subtlety of sin. We can see sin in our brothers and our sisters. And we can take opportunity to say to one another, oh, did you see what um, such and such is did? And in reality, what we're actually doing is, it's a form of gossip. It's not necessarily trying to just go to that person and say, bruv, sis, I see that you're in this. Um, can I pray with you? No. We're all guilty of saying to one another, yo, did you hear about such and such? Did you know about such and such? And it's sin. It's not responding biblically to seeing sin in our brothers and sisters' lives. And within this, we need to know that if we do see a fault with our brother or our sister, the Lord gives us Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 18. There's a right way of going about dealing with issues such as these. But generally, we don't do that. And we kind of mask it as if we're being spiritual. And so the Lord is just convicting me and just showing me in his word the right way to deal with these things. And then I considered, you know, the thought of, well, how to judge sin righteously. You know, we may have, some of us may have come from the school of thought that, no, you can't ju judge the Lord's anointed. You can't judge one another. You know, who are you to judge one another? No. And there's an element of truth within that. Because the scripture does indeed make it clear that we are not to judge in a contemptuous way or a hypocritical way. But equally, there is a righteous way to judge situations. And Paul outlines this in the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 6. Saying that we should judge those minor matters within the church. And he even goes, don't you know you're going to judge angels? So there is a righteous way of judging situations. And so all these thoughts gain on in my mind. And the Lord just showed me within his word, you know, a passage where some of these things are addressed. And maybe we can get some keys in knowing how to deal with these situations. So our text today, if you'd like to turn with me, is in the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 9. And as you're turning there, I'm going to begin from verse 18. And if you are there, would you say amen? Amen. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the whole earth was populated. Can you just take the mic down a little bit, please, guys? And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. 
And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Curse be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Interesting story. And the backdrop, if you would permit me just to outline it, to this account, is that God has passed judgment on mankind. And he has brought about what we call the global flood on the earth. We read in Genesis chapter 6 that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Wow. I mean, I don't know if you ever read that and just think, you just go on to the next verse, but for me, that is like, a few of the saddest verses in the entire canon of scripture. God was sorry that he had made man. He was grieved in his heart. How does an almighty God become grieved in his heart? Have you ever asked yourself that question? We know that Moses is the author of this book and he's trying to attempt to convey the emotions which God was experiencing and feeling when he looked down from heaven on planet earth and he just saw that the thoughts and the intents of the, of the hearts of men was evil continually. And so God decides to act. And God says that I will destroy man who I've created upon the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But then verse 8 of chapter 6 gives us hope because it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so by bringing about the flood and the destruction of man, God basically brought creation back to day one. Day one where darkness was over the face of the deep. And he also preserved his promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, because he said that, you know, he would send a savior into the world. And so God had to preserve that. He had to protect that promise. And so we have this situation after the flood that 
the waters have now subsided. The earth has now appeared again. And we get into this account with Genesis 9.18. And Noah and his sons leave the ark. And it says that now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah from whom, uh, uh, and from these the whole earth was populated. And so the Bible doesn't give us a time period right here, but we can only presume that, you know, because God commissioned them to go ahead and populate the earth, um, be fruitful, multiply, that during this time period they have had children. And I think that is indicated in the fact that it says, and Ham was the father of Canaan. And it says that in verse 20 that Noah began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard. And this is an interesting verse because before this point, Noah was not a farmer. If anything, we see that Noah was a carpenter building the ark. And while he was building the ark, he was also a preacher. A preacher to the heathen world, as mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and First and Second Peter. Then, with the ark complete for a short period of time, Noah became a sailor. And we laugh, but... You know, this gives us an example that we should always be flexible in the Lord's hands. Willing to chop and change and do different jobs if need be. If we need to provide for ourselves. If we need to provide for our, uh, our families. We can't just say, I'm a computer programmer, I can't do anything else. Maybe the Lord wants you to be a plumber. Maybe you have to go back to school and relearn a new, a new job. And, you know, so we should always be flexible in the Lord's hands. And Noah was, and he became a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. And within the course of time, because vineyards just don't pop up overnight, it takes time to grow. You know, the vineyard produced fruit. And if you can picture it, we see that there's ingredients being formed here. There's fruit, which, if used in the wrong means and in the wrong way, can cause sin. It doesn't just pop up overnight. It takes time to grow. And there's many of us who, who have allow, allowed things to just grow within our lives, which we know are not right, which we know are not pleasing to the Lord, but we just allow them to grow. And when they actually grow and produce a harvest, it gives us opportunity to fall into sin. And this is exactly what happened to Noah. Now, the fruit in itself was not sinful. But Noah produced wine 
and he drank from the fruit of the vineyard and he got drunk. And he became uncovered in his tent. Now, you may be asking, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that this is like a total contrast to Noah's life before. Before the flood, Noah's life, you know, he was busy about the Lord's business. He was focused on building an ark, focused on preaching the word, focused on building altars, focused on making sacrifices. But now we see Noah getting into a routine of life. He stopped being focused. He stopped building. And now what he did was he just kicked back a little bit and decided to take from the produce of the vineyard and by doing this he got drunk and as we say he got lean smashed and again it's a total contrast because this is one of the very areas of Noah's life where he had shown strength and he had shown character it was against this very thing that he preached against towards the people before the flood. The world was in a drunken state. But now, drunkenness was a negative reality in Noah's own life and an area of weakness. And so we see that Noah drunk. And, you know, I just want to highlight the point that Within the scriptures, there's nowhere where we see that drunkenness is good. Drunkenness is never seen in a positive light within the scriptures. Yes, we do see that Paul said to Timothy that he should drink a little wine for his stomach's sake. But, you know, that's in moderation. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 categorically says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but we filled with the spirit. And so what God is basically saying is forget the alcohol. Forget the alcohol, forget using alcohol to do, to allow you to do or say things which you wouldn't normally do, but be filled with my spirit and I will allow you to say and do things which you wouldn't normally do. And so, if you can see it, sin was subtle in making an inroad into Noah's life here. It slowly creeped in. An area of strength became an area of weak weakness. And if we just think about a few characters in the Bible, we see that this idea of where we were once strong becomes an area of weakness. You know, we can see this in the life of Abraham. Abraham known as the father of faith. But Abraham displayed a definite lack of faith when he heeded to the voice of his wife, Sarah, and he produced Ishmael. 
That was not acting in faith. That was not the command of the Lord. The area in which he was strong became the area in which he found his weakness. We see this in the life of Moses as well. Moses is considered to be one of the meekest men who ever lived. But if you remember in Numbers chapter 20, God spoke to Moses and said, speak to the rock and the rock will produce water for you. And in his anger towards the people, Moses took his rod and he struck the rock. And so because of that, God said, because you didn't obey my voice, you're not going to go into the promised land. There were consequences. An area where he was strong became the very area in which he found himself to be weak. And we look at this example, we see that as believers, we need to take heed. Because it's easy for us to let our guard down and become open and vulnerable to sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The very area in which you think you are so strong, the enemy will use to bring about weakness in your life and my life. And it's important for us to know that. It's important for us to, to know that we will never get to the place where we've arrived. That we should always be on our guard. We always need to cry out to the Lord, Lord, help me. Help us, Lord. We need you. For without you, we can do absolutely nothing. And so this scenario, this picture that Noah got into the routine of life that was that was at one point active with the Lord, but he slacked off. And the text says that he was uncovered in his tent. Now, I don't know if many of you know this, but the word used here for uncovered in the Hebrew is gala. And this word and the phrasing of the verse rings alarm bells. It's not good. Because the word and the phrasing literally gives the impression that Noah wasn't just naked within his tent, but he was involved in some type of sexual sin. Noah, involved in sexual sin. Are you for real? Study the text. Be a student of the word. Don't just look at scripture at face value. Dig a little bit deeper. Now, the text indeed is very silent. And it doesn't say whether he did this willingly or unwillingly. But it gives the definite impression that there was sexual immorality going on here. And it's unbelievable as we read it. Because again, this is another prominent reason why the Lord had brought judgment upon the earth. And now we find that Noah was indulging in or being the victim of some form of, of sexual sin. 
And you know, we can look at this and think, yo, I didn't see that before, I didn't know that. And yo, Noah, you really flopped. But the truth is, and the reality is, is Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, but God gives his grace. And we see that God gave grace to Noah. And this, we again see this, this horror of the subtleness of sin, how it can easily make inroads into our lives if it's not checked. And so we continue, and verse 22 says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So Ham saw the condition of his father, and instead of him being proactive by taking action to cover his father's sin and conceal his nakedness, Ham went out and spoke about it to his brothers. He exposed his father to his brothers. And again, looking into the Hebrew, it's a lot more intense because it literally says that he told his brothers with delight what he had seen in his father's tent. And doesn't this just typify carnal human nature? We see someone fall. We see someone in difficulty. We see someone struggling. And instead of us helping or covering we go off and start talking about it in our own little groups. Did you hear about such and such? Did you know what happened to such and such? We do this to the point that we even watch TV programs, and that's what it's all about. The soap operas, EastEnders, Corey, Emmerdale, you name it, that's what it's about. And we fall into the trap where everyone knows everyone's business and we generally like to see people expose and people flop and this is exactly what ham was guilty of exposing another person his father in this case and putting them down and as we look at this we see that this is the wrong way to respond to the sin that we see in others Verse 23 says, but Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So, on the contrary here, Shem and Japheth acted in the right way, which gives us the correct picture of not entertaining another person's sin. Shem and Japheth both walked into their father's tent backwards with a garment. And they did this with the def definite purpose of not seeing the nakedness and the shame of their father. They did this with the definite purpose of not wanting to be tainted by this picture so that it would taint their future opinion of their father. And they did this because that is what love does. Love desires to cover 
a multitude of sin. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. And above all things, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Shem and Japheth, they acted quickly because they didn't want anyone else to witness the nakedness of their father. So they didn't want to see it, and they didn't want anybody else to see it. So they acted quickly. And they did this because they didn't want anyone else to pass judgment on their father. An interesting scene because, again, how often do we find ourselves in situations where we know things about people and we can even be talking to that person and in the back of our minds we're thinking, oh, I know this about you. Oh, I'm aware that you're going through that. And it's wrong. It's knowing their nakedness, in a sense. They've been uncovered before us. And it's not good. We know the shortcomings and the weaknesses of other people. And it taints the way we think about them. It's a seed which has been planted in our minds. And it's not good. Because the Lord doesn't want us to be thinking about each other in those ways. So Shem and Japheth, you know, they give us this righteous example of how to not entertain such things. And you know, when an individual comes to you or comes to me and says, oh, I'm really concerned about this or I'm concerned about that. And did you know about, it's time to say, whoa, stop. Have you been to that person? Have you spoken to that person? I don't want to know about it. There's a right way of addressing such situations. You need to go to your brother. You need to go to your sister and speak to them. And if they hear you, you've won your brother or you've won your sister. It's an ideal opportunity to teach the scriptures and say, don't you know that love covers a multitude of sins? Don't you know that there's a right way of us relating to each other? There's a right way, and this is the right way to respond to the sin that we see in other people's lives. Now, acting in this way, you may lose a lot of friends. Because, as I said, our general nature is that we want to entertain such conversations. We want to know about people's business. So for you to stick a pin and say, whoa, uh-uh, I'm not interested. You may find that people may withdraw from you. You may lose some friends, but just think of the other side of the coin. You'd be rich before God. You'd be pleasing before God. You'd be in a position where he can use you. Because he knows that no loose thing is going to be coming out of your mouth and from your lips. You see, when we start 
addressing our Christianity in this way is what we used to call A-level Christianity. It's where we lose and we get rid of the superficial. It's where we want to go on to be mature in the Lord. And that's what we should be striving for, and that's what we should be seeking, desiring. That we could be well-pleasing in his sight. And so, the subtlety of sin, how to address sin in our own lives, how to respond to sin in other people's lives, are all found in this text. And verse 24 goes on to say, Now Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done. And this is interesting because I hope it's in your BC days, but that's before Christ. <laughs> when any time before I was Christian, I got lean, it, was, it wasn't too easy to remember what happened the night before. Oh, what, what did I do? Did I do that? Oh, my goodness. But somehow, Noah knows exactly what happened. How did he know what happened? The text doesn't say, but... I believe by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Noah knew. And this, this is comforting to me because nothing ever misses God. You may miss it in your drunken state, but it, it doesn't, God doesn't miss it. And God prophetically speaks through Noah. And God says, curse, and Noah says, curse be Cain and the servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So here we got to ask the question, well, why was Canaan cursed when it was Ham who actually done the dirty deed? And there isn't necessarily a black and white answer to that. But what I believe is that here is a situation which showed the true nature and characteristics of Noah's sons. Their nature and their characteristics were literally exposed within this situation. And this nature and characteristic was something which would be outplayed through their descendants. It would be outplayed through their generational line. And so Noah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophetically declared the legacy, you know, what would happen to the descendants of Ham and his son Canaan. And it's interesting that as we look back in history and we look at the culture of the Canaanites. We see that everyone agrees that the Canaanites was the worst culture in antiquity. The Canaanites were totally perverse. And it wasn't long before they were overrun and enslaved and, in, and even ceased to exist. 
And so we see here that the words and the prophecies of Noah came to pass. And I believe that God is just showing us a picture here. That if we live in this spirit of condemning, exposing others' sins, it doesn't just have an effect on us, but it affects others around us, others who we have influence over. And it's not good. We need to act in the spirit of Shem and Japheth, who decided to act in love and cover their father's nakedness, to cover sin, to not be tainted in their minds by what they could know about someone, but they chose not to. And as I said before, it's a hard word which, if we can receive it, it will take us onto another level of our relationship with the Lord. It will take us to a, a level where we are not just, you know, hearers of God's word, but doers of his word. And verse 28 goes on to say, And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. We see that in the life of Noah, he started off really, really good. But then he had this situation towards the end of his life where it wasn't so good. He fell into sin. But after that situation, Noah did not fall into sin again. And as we look through the scriptures, we see that, that we have examples where some people started off really, really good. And towards the end of their life, they flopped. We think of David. And we look at his life. We look at Solomon. But then we have examples of people who didn't start off so good. But ended up courageously living for the Lord. We think about the Apostle Paul. And so... Wherever you are right now, wherever I am right now, it's never too late. It's never too late for us to say, Lord, here am I, use me. Lord, here am I. Grab me by the lock of my hair and drag me wherever you want to drag me. We think about the prophets of old. You know, God said to some of the prophets oh, to do some strange things. Was it Isaiah? Lay on that one side of your, what was it Isaiah? Lay on one side for three years. Just lay on your side and prophesy against Israel. Okay, Lord. Then after that period, all right, good. Now get on the other side. Oh, I just laid for, get on the other side. Yes, Lord. He was obedient to it. I believe it is Ezekiel even said, make your food off of cow dung. What? Cow dung? Yes, cow dung. The prophet Hosea, 
take for you, for you a wife of harlotry. What? A wife of harlotry? Yes, because I'm going to use your life as a picture, as an example to teach others, to show Israel that I'm not pleased with them. And Paul says, no, it says in the scriptures, Paul, that all these things were written for our admonition. For an example to us, to learn from them, to use them in our walk with the Lord. And so the Lord may be asking you today to do some strange things. He may be asking you to let something go. He may be asking you to, you know what, you need to pick that up. Whatever it is, your response to him should be yes and amen. And as we walk with the Lord and we have these opportunities for sin just to come into our lives, we'll say, no, I'm not going to fall into that trap of allowing sin to have an inroads in my life. That in the areas where we know that we are strong, we're prayer warriors. The Lord may make that a stumbling block in your life so that you can know not to necessarily lean on your own strength and on your own understanding, but to lean on him. And so, you know, if we're sidetracked and we find ourselves within a routine, get rid of the routine. If we find that the Lord at one time, you know, is helping us to build stuff and to work for him and everything, and we're no longer doing that, get back on track. Because that's what he wants for us. And let us continue to provoke one another unto righteousness. To encourage each other. And to know that love always covers a multitude of sin. God has forgiven us of all our sins. Therefore, we need to forgive others of their sins against us. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word and all scripture is profitable, Lord, for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness, Lord Jesus, so that we can be fully equipped and fully complete in you. And so, Lord Jesus says, um, as we meditate on these things, as hard as they may be, Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts. That, Lord, we at Calvary Chapel South London, Lord, will be a body of believers who desire to truly be more like you. That we can be a good representation of your church, Lord. that people will be able to look at us, Lord, and see us as light, to see us as salt, Lord, and to see us as people who don't play with your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word says that you know, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but your word, oh my Lord, will remain forever. And we give you thanks to that, Lord. Help us to be obedient to you.